episode 104 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Chowan, and we have one of our two other regular co-hosts returning tonight. Ash, welcome back. I've missed you, buddy. Glad to have you back. I missed you, too. It was so <laughs> Oh, man, it's been a while. I feel like you haven't been on since episode 100, have you? So this is, yeah. Missed yeah, it's, so, yeah. My, it's our live the one. new job kind of, like, ate up my my life, but right. good thing. I do like it. It's just... Good. Yeah. Good. At least you are back now, and uh, hopefully you'll be back next week, and Mark should hopefully be back next week for, for the next episode, so uh, let's hope. But Excellent. So... Tonight, we are here to wrap up our Slasher Resurgence arc, looking at Cut from 2000 and Valentine from 2001. And we're also going to move on to round 34 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge. Before we do that, though, let's talk about social media and how you can follow us outside of just listening to the podcast. You can follow us on Cinefessions. Uh, on uh, rather on Twitter at Cinefessions. You can email us at contact at Cinefessions.com. You can leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. Also, make sure you're following along on our Instagram account on Cinefessions, where uh, Mark posts tons of reviews, usually a few times a week, and all his media pickups. So definitely give that a follow if you haven't yet. And you can like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Cinefessions and check out our long list of all past reviews and all 104 podcast episodes right over at cinefessions.com. And also, I am trying to use YouTube a lot more, bringing the video aspect of the website to uh, life a little more. So definitely follow us on YouTube at Cinefessions there as well. And also, episode 100, our first and only live episode is still there. So check that out if you haven't already. Also, if you are a fan of the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews on iTunes are essential to helping us grow. So thank you in advance for your support there. And finally, we are proud to tell you that episode 104 of the Cinefessions podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial. So all of our Cinefessions listeners get an opportunity to check out their services. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or your Kindle devices. So head on over to audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions to get your free audiobook. That's audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions. All right, Ash, it's been, it, it's been a while. So I hope you have some awesome stuff to talk about in uh, your world of media the past little while here. Oh, shit. Uh, well, even <laughs> between moving and shit, like, you know, because I'm old and fat and... Uh... <laughs> So, you know, when I when I'm even when I'm packing to move, I have to sit for a while because either my back's killing me or my feet are killing me or I can't feel my legs or, you know, <laughs> right. any number of things. So I still got some uh, watching in. Um, most of it was TV binging. I will give it that. Um, Excellent. Uh, I did watch uh, to follow up with Glow, the the first season of Glow that we watched. Yes, yeah. I did watch the the biography, the or the documentary. I guess that would be better to call it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The story of gorgeous ladies of wrestling, which is awesome. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's great. Hell yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot too. It's been a few years since I've watched it. And I've been wanting to revisit it since watching Glow, but yeah, it's definitely definitely worth your time. 
Okay, and then um, and then uh, after I watched Glow season one uh, the, for the podcast, and then I didn't end up getting to talk about it, which I thought was right. fucking amazing. Oh, good, that's right. I forgot you didn't get to talk about that one. Yeah, yes, yeah, so Glow was fucking awesome. If you, I'm so glad you liked Netflix, it. Watch it because it, yeah. it it's it's hilarious. It's got some nice drama to it, and it's a blast. Uh, yeah, I haven't cracked my shit up at a TV show like that in a while. So. Yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, just to uh, to kind of keep things close here, what did you give? What would you give Glow on your on our four star scale here? Uh, season one, I'd give it a four out of four. Easy. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I gave it a four. Also, Mark ended up giving it a three and a half. So it does not enter our Cineprofessions Hall of Fame. Mark, but you fuck. I, exactly, Mark. You fuck. I haven't gotten to say that enough in the past couple months here. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> Good. I had to be nice to him before because he was like uh, the only one that was able to make it that week. And so I had to be nice. I couldn't be a dick to him. So now that you're back, I can be an asshole again. Thank God. Oh, oh, thank God. Thank God for that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. So uh, follow Glow Season 1 with – I realized I was like a season behind on Voltron, uh, the, the new animated one that's on Netflix. So I've been okay. all of Season 2 and all of Season 3 within the course of two days. wow and that season three is not as strong as season two uh i think it's partly because it's shorter um i think i think if they had the other half of this uh instead of making it season four it probably would have been a lot stronger but i mean the storytelling isn't bad it's just they kind of leave it you know as a as a season cliffhanger or a season finale it was kind of weak um, oh, gotcha. but, but other than that, I mean, the rest of the season's fantastic. Um, hmm. let's see. I started watching, uh, Winona Earp, um, uh, season one's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's like, uh, a female supernatural. If like the, the supernatural or the Winchesters were actually like tied, uh, to like an actual person, like Winona Earp's history is that she's like the descendant of, of Wyatt. Uh, and, and there's a lot of shit going down in her, in her town. And it's a lot of fun. I will give it that. Uh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt that the, the lead actress and her sister and the female cop in town are gorgeous. Uh, um, and this, this story is a lot of, you know, in my, in my ignorance, I, I had no idea what it was. I thought it was just like a female version of Wyatt Earp. I, I didn't know how it was related. Yeah, no, it's it's like uh think it's like supernatural light. Uh and I say supernatural light only because uh instead of monster of the week and driving all over the place, she's kind of in her hometown dealing with a family curse. Okay. Interesting. So it, it, it so it, it's it's pro- it's more personal than supernatural was. So it, it, it's it's more interesting I think with that end of it. I, yeah. If I had a choice, I'd probably watch well, I'm. I'd actually probably finish season one of What Went on Earth before I went and tried to tackle. I'm like two or three seasons behind on Supernatural, and that's mm-hmm. gonna be. It's not gonna be a slog, but I'm. I'm afraid I'm gonna. Ha- it's gonna take me like three or four episodes before I even get my groove with that one. So, I would probably actually finish One on Earth first because a she kicks ass and and it's it's a little bit more fun than Supernatural. I mean, they have fun on Supernatural, but at this point in the show, there is so much extra drama with everything going on that it's not as fun as it used to be. Okay. Uh, Interestingly uh, enough, the uh, Winona Earp is played by um, 
Melanie Scrofano, who's actually in Nurse 3D, which we reviewed back in like episode like six or something of the podcast. What? Is she? I don't remember her in it. I, and she played Rachel Adams, it said, or something like that. Rachel, let me see. It was, yeah, Rachel Adams, but I don't know what character that was in the movie. It's been a while. It's been I, years I since we've seen it. I don't remember off my head either, yeah. Yeah. Not the lead. Um, Probably just a minor character, supporting yeah. character, it looks like. Um, I did start Marvel's The Defenders. Um, and I'm absolutely fucking loving it, but my wife, um, is tired of hearing the immortal iron fist explain to people that he is the immortal iron fist, the defender (laughs) of Gunloon. And, and if he says it one more goddamn time, I swear to God, I probably am going to throw my laptop across the (laughs) room because I don't even fucking care anymore. The, the best part of, honestly, the best part of the defender so far has been Luke, Luke Cage. And Daredevil and uh, fucking Jessica Jones just mm. ripping the shit out of uh, Iron Fist for being a dumbass. It is That's great. Awesome. Yes, uh, that that part of it alone. That and they have a this amazing fight sequence that. Uh, uh, through this one uh, office building, and it's just that that's fucking awesome. Um, uh, but uh, I got to finish that. I'm in the middle of that. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, Sigourney Weaver is also fucking cool as hell in that. Uh, she does the, I'm just, you know, the sweet old woman to, I am an evil fucking mastermind and you will do what the fuck I tell you to do like on a dime. And it's great. Absolutely love it. Um, so I got to finish that. Um, but the other one, the one that I, uh, I spent the last two weeks, like going through whenever I got a chance, uh, was Penny Dreadful. Uh, all three seasons of it are on Netflix. Um, it was a Showtime uh, original series, so there is blood, gore, nudity, both male and female, lots of sex. There's blood and sex. There's, uh, you know, all sorts of shit in this, if you're into that. So, like, for a horror fan, will love this. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, like, set in Victorian times. So think, like, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, only, like, better. uh like because they have like uh frankenstein's in it um the the wolfman's in it yeah they managed to update all of like the classic monsters and people without ruining them there isn't a character in that show that's not interesting and or or very pretty i guess i would have to i would have to agree with my wife on that one yeah jekyll uh, he gets introduced in season three and they don't get to do a whole lot with him uh, just because they're kind oh. of tying up stuff. Yeah, he's kind of a plot device. Um, but uh, but he, he even then, he's pretty to look at. <laughs> so <there's laughs> uh, but yeah, I definitely recommend Penny Dreadful if you get a chance to watch it. Um, Very cool. That one is pretty. That's pretty cool. Um, I did get I do have Amazon Prime now. Um so Hell I did yes. watch a few things in that. I watched all of the Grand Tour, which is Amazon's version of Top Gear with the original Top Gear guys. Oh, okay. Um, it's if you liked UK Top Gear with Clarkson and crew, you will like the uh, the Grand Tour. Uh, basically, it, yeah, it's it's pretty much it's very similar. There are some things that they can't do because they don't have them from Top Gear, uh, mm-hmm. but they make up for it in other ways. Awesome. Very. Yeah. Like like every time they have a guest star on, they they end up, quote, horribly dead, unquote. Oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I watched The Witch. 
and I wanted to like it because it's brilliantly shot and wonderfully acted, but I was bored as fuck. And by the end of it, I could care less. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I really need to see that one. I've heard so many like divisive opinions on it. Yeah, it is. It's on Prime. So if you got Prime, you can watch it. Um, oh, yeah. I also started Season of the Witch and I got about 20 minutes into it. Um, my wife got about five minutes into it and then we turned it off. Like the uh, Nick Cage Witch? No, it is not the Nick Cage season of the Witch. Oh. It is we like the Nick Cage season of the Witch. <laughs> <laughs> now this one's from twenty fourteen and it's uh it's a UK film. Um, but they filmed it and the reason I thought I'd like it is because they filmed it like it's a seventies horror slash suspense thriller. Like oh. even like they managed to get the like the film quality looks like it's in shot in the seventies and and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. And then they picked the most lackluster actors who I could give a fuck about because they can't deliver a line to save their ass. Uh, oh, it, just, it, it was just it was a slog. Yeah, the the twenty minutes I watched of it, I just I've, it's like ugh, I'm I'm done. I can't do it. Yeah. So and then the the other one I actually watched. Um, and I happened to to pick up on it because I was looking as it popped up on one of my Twitter feeds was the picture of all the uh, uh, the Russian female sniper corps. Uh, I was like, oh, they look badass. So I looked up the history on mm-hmm. it and I found out that the uh, Ukraine and Russia paired up to make a film about the one who had the mo- the Russian female sniper who had the most kills like out of all of them. Like it was in the oh, hundreds. Okay. I uh, let's see. Her name was uh, Lyud. I'm butchering it. Lyudmila Pavlichenko. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, uh, but uh, the movie is called Battle for Sevastopol. Uh, it's from 2015. Um, if you want to see, it, it's a great war film. Um, and it's and it's from a different point of view because it, most of the war films I always end up seeing are you know the British or the U.S. And they're taking World War Two, yeah. and this is very firmly set in the Russian camp, um, or you know I've seen the like the German point of view from it too, but this is this is very firmly a Russian point of view, um, so it's it's neat mm. to see what they did with stuff, but it's also right it, they deal with the you know the oh we're going off to war but this will be fantastic, and then they go through their first battle and they're all like holy shit what did we sign up for type of thing oh <laughs> man yeah right. Uh, but, mm. uh, the, you know, it's definitely, if you like, uh, war films or if you're, you know, just kind of interested in history and this is definitely, definitely something to look out for. It's on, that's also on Amazon prime. And what was that one called again? Uh, battle for Sevastopol. Okay. And I'm probably butchering the name. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, let's see, finished <laughs> off parks and rec, uh, finally. Um, and then there was, I know there was something else I watched it. So there's that. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's my my binge. I did manage to actually squeak in like two hours of uh, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda at one point. Mm-hmm. That was my gaming. And uh, Have you beat Andromeda yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. <clears throat> God. Yeah, we've been moving. So I haven't. Uh, oh, I was kind of dragging along because I thought that they would put out um, like the story content that I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. And then they announced like two weeks ago that, oh, yeah, we're not putting out any any additional DLC for it. You know, and then they basically killed the team that was working on it and shuffled them over to another project. So what's oh, out there for okay. Mass Effect Drama is pretty much it except for the multiplayer, which um, I I'm not into. 
Uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't have time to sit there and grind all this shit out too. But uh, so yeah, so there's that. Uh, so I, I did pick it back up again. I'm gonna you know, blow through it at least with this character and probably make another group when I get time. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's oh, where I'm at with that. Oh, and I did get to watch the the Bills. Well, I didn't get to watch it. I got to listen to the Bills win Sunday while I was moving and stuff. So that was awesome. Go Bills! Yeah. And uh, and uh, it was nothing quite as satisfying as watching the page fall on their ass on that. I know. That was <laughs> shocking. Very surprising. But yeah. Yeah. yeah as, as a Bills fan, my favorite teams are the Bills and anybody who's playing the Patriots that week. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I felt that same way about uh, Ohio State losing Oakland. Ah. Excellent. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, most of my, my free time has been spent with Madden 18. Uh, on the Xbox One, I decided to start a franchise with the Cowboys this year, which is like my Cowboys and Lions are my two NFL teams. Um, and I haven't played a Cowboys franchise since like Madden 10 when I was doing an online franchise with some uh, people online. And so I just felt like the time was right because they had this young crop of talent to play around with. So there's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I finished the, excuse me, I finished the first season nine and seven, third in the NFC East out of a playoff spot and then ended up improving. In season two, so much so that I went 13 and three and ended up beating the Jacksonville Jaguars of all teams in the Super Bowl. Um, so I ended up winning the Super Bowl. So that was good. And I had a, uh, I had a mediocre draft class, I would say, uh, but it was highlighted by a 78 overall middle linebacker that had superstar development. And I actually was able to nab him in the sixth round. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, my first round pick was an 80 overall defensive tackle who's starting for me, but he has slow development. So until we can get it, that development trade up, he's you know not going to be doing too much uh, gaining in that overall. But he's still starting for me, so you know it is what it is. Um, I also signed a really fast, strong backup running back to play behind Zeke. Um, if Zeke goes down, just because Alfred Morris has been regressing each year, I've had him just because of his age. Um, I can't remember the guy's name that I signed, but hopefully he'll be uh, a good backup for me in season three, which I have actually not started playing yet, but I will probably start mm, most likely tonight. Um, and then I, I haven't done much else over the past few weeks. Honestly, I really, uh, I need to take better notes throughout the week about things that are worth talking about because whenever I go to sit down to write this section, I always forget what the hell I did, but, um, that's pretty much all I can remember. Um, I will say that as promised, I did sign up for MoviePass right after we finished recording the last episode, um, which I recorded with Chris. And that was about three weeks ago now, and I've still yet to receive my card in the mail. Now, I have heard that they're on like a two to three week delay, so hopefully I'll get mine before we record next week. But it's possible it won't come until the week after that. Now, admittedly, I'm annoyed that it's taking this long to get the card, but I'm not terribly upset about it because of the fact that the month I paid for doesn't actually start until I receive and activate the card. So I'm not really losing out on anything. Um, I mean, yeah, I paid for the first month already, but that month, like I said, hasn't really started yet and it won't until I get the card. So I'm really, I'm losing out on nothing other than the fact that I really wanted to use the movie pass to watch it in theaters. But I guess I'm just gonna have to pay to see that the, uh, the old fashioned way sometime in the next week here. But I'll definitely keep you guys updated on my experience with the movie pass subscription as the weeks go on. And uh, hopefully I'll have an update, a positive update for you next week. Um, another thing of note that I wanted to mention is that I received today the... So if you guys haven't, I do have a Retro Engine Sigma unboxing and first impressions video up on YouTube. Um, so definitely check that out. 
And on there, I made mention that when I received one of the controllers, the Genesis clone controller, it was broken. The trigger button just didn't work on it. It was stuck in. Well, they sent me out a new one at no charge. And so I do have that. I got that in the mail today. So, and it looks good. And so I'm really pleased with that. So even though they sent me a defective one, they were, you know, uh, willing and able and nice enough to send me out a, a new one to replace it. So I got that one today and uh, I'm anxious to try it out. So I have this idea of uh, like reviewing through the Madden series. And so I really want to play that on the Genesis, which obviously I'll use the retro engine segment for. And so I'm excited to have that controller now so I get the full effect. Uh, And then like the only other things of note that I've spent time with are the football games just because football season is back as we were just talking about. And it's been fantastic so far. Michigan 2-0. Lions, 1-0. Cowboys, 1-0. I mean, I couldn't be fucking happier. And like you mentioned, your Bills won. So they're 1-0 also. I mean, it's a, it's a good time to be a football fan if you're the fan of our teams. So gives us something to cheer about. But other than that, I guess that wraps up my week. So not uh, not too terribly much other than uh, other than Madden. That's what it's uh, it's been all about. All right, Ash, are you ready? Uh, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I got the lube. I'm ready. <laughs> Good. Oh, I wait, mine, that's so. not what you meant. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. But I like that you're always on the ball, so that's good. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm drinking my Arbor Brewing Company Strawberry Blonde Beer, and I'm ready to talk some early 2000s slasher films. So let's dive right in. So first up, we'll talk about the first one that was released out of these two, Cut. So... As always, there will be spoilers for Cut and Valentine, so keep that in mind as we move forward here. There will be major spoilers for these upcoming films. So Cut, a released in 2000, had a, an original Australian theatrical release, release date of March 2nd, 2000, but I could not find the U.S. release date, so I don't even know if it was released in theaters in the U.S. or not. Frankly, I have no idea. But it was directed by Kimball Rendell, Written by Mark Lamprell and Dave Warner. It has an IMDb score of 4.2 out of the 2,834 votes that it currently has. It has no Metacritic score. It had an 11% tomato meter score, tomato meter score and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 25%. I could not find the uh, budget, but it did have a 501000 $979,000 Australian gross. And again, I could not find a total. So that was just the, the Australian theatrical release. It had an 82-minute runtime. And uh, we'll make note. Now, I cannot confirm this because I couldn't find anything else that confirmed it. Their link to this uh, quote-unquote fact was dead on Wikipedia. But it does list that there is a possibly a 98-minute version of this film as well. But again, cannot confirm that. And the version I watched, because I rented this on Voodoo, and I think Ash, you rented it on Amazon Prime. No, um, the versions we watched. Well. Yeah. I okay, Voodoo well. as well. Okay. Yeah. So our versions were 82 minutes. And I can't imagine there being another fucking 16, whatever that is. Yeah, 16 minutes more in here. So I, I have a feeling that's probably a false fact. But even though I know the answer. If it is, it's probably padding at the front. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I already know the answer to this, I'm sure, but what is your history with Cut, Ash? Um, I like Molly Ringwald, and I had no fucking idea she was in this movie at all. Yeah. So, 
Uh, yeah, this is actually the first time I've watched it. So mm-hmm. yeah, other than that, awesome. That's it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Um, and that's like one of the main reasons that I found this one. So I was how I found this because I'd never heard of it before. I was actually searching for slasher films around this time basically like when i thought about this arc when i thought of this arc i was thinking you know clones like scream uh, basically i wanted movies that were inspired by the scream success which we've had you know a few of them on this podcast arc so far but one that i hadn't heard of i was actually i searched in google and it came up in this like google books it was this i don't know i don't remember what the book was called or anything like that but it was talking about some of movies from this era and one of them mentioned was cut which mentioned that it starred Molly Ringwald, which just, I was like, what the fuck? Like Molly Ringwald is in a slasher film from the 2000? Like that's shocking to me. And so that's literally the reason I was like, let me check this out. And I looked it up. It sounded interesting. And so I was like, yeah, let's let's add this one to the arc. It sounds fun because I figure most people probably haven't seen it leading into this, which is always fun. So that's Molly Ringwald's inclusion is one of the main reasons I did it. And also... Uh, I was intrigued by the fact that it also has Kylie Minogue in it, which she only plays a very small role in the very beginning, but still fun nonetheless. So right when we opened up here, I was so on Voodoo, I rented the HDX picture quality and I was like, damn, this is foggy as hell. I was really hoping it cleared up because obviously I had no clue because obviously right in the beginning we are watching just like the beginning of uh, the last film we talked about, Urban Legends um, Final Cut. We're actually watching a movie being filmed even though we don't know it um and so that takes place i think it's like a dozen years 12 years before the actual movie itself and so uh it makes sense that that picture quality was a lot foggier so i like that little touch that they had in there yeah i did like that um i think they overdid it just a little bit (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean given that it's supposed to be a work print though i i guess right that i guess that makes sense but yeah yeah, I was yeah. just like, why the fuck is the quality so bad? <laughs> exactly. I know. So I was like, man, this sucks. I was. I just hope it, it's not always like this. But um, yeah, and then I was thinking as it went on, I was like, once I realized that this was a movie, I was thinking for sure that Molly Ringwald was going to get the, um, oh, fuck, Drew Campbell treatment from Scream. And only be in it for like the first 15 minutes, that opening, you know, the opening scene and then disappear. And so I was very happy that she came back in the in the movie. I was, but I, I'll touch on that later. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting too, because so this movie is not, um, it's not like, a, it doesn't go full on with like the horror comedy um aspect of it but i think it is definitely self-referential at points and um you know right after we get past this this movie opening um what is it there's a line that molly ta- uh, molly ringwell's character oh she says look what scream did for courtney cox and then uh the guy says or she's that's what she, the guy says to her the agent and then she says oh give me a break she was a millionaire already and i thought that was very funny just because of the fact that you know, she Molly Ringwald is clearly a millionaire already, and she's starring in this this slasher film. And so I enjoyed that uh, little bit of uh, you know self aware humor, but um, it, it's definitely not on the same level as like the urban legend. Uh, I guess the first urban legend, but no, I wouldn't. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think of the killer in this movie? Like his his mask, most I specifically. Thought that was a- great fucking design 
uh, to be honest with you. I like mm-hmm. um because he didn't look like a guy who just kind of stapled his mouth shut. It, it right. Was, it, it, there was something seriously fucked up with that dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I liked it as well. I thought it was just a cool as fuck mask. And then at first I thought it was like a half broken the weapon. I thought it was like a half broken like shears, you know, half broken shears. And then I realized, no, it's like there's this tiny little second like scissor part to the shear. And so I was like, oh, it's supposed to be that way. But I thought it was a really cool weapon, just something I'd never seen before. Yeah, it definitely. And I, I like the comment. This is jumping ahead a little bit. But mm-hmm. he, the, the dude makes the comment, oh, they're specially designed gardening shears. Right, yeah. <laughs> heads off with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, that was so true. I love that. Um, I liked uh, Kylie Minogue's death. So first off, Kylie Minogue, uh, if people that don't know, Kylie Minogue was the director from the like false opening or the very opening of the film, I guess, the one who was directing the film. Um, that was Kylie Minogue. And um, so the killer shows up at her trailer or whatever, and basically she's firing him because he's bad. And then he, for some reason, which I thought was really strange, he like cuts off his own thumb and then proceeds to kill her by cutting her finger off. Like, I didn't understand that. Yeah, I think he kind of lost his shit. And that was... Yeah, just as simple as that. Yeah, that could be. It was just strange. Like, I was like, okay, he's just cutting his own thumb off for some reason, but or whatever digit it was, but yeah. Um, And then the other thing I thought was kind of funky in the opening. So he gets stabbed, but he's also, like, electrocuted at the same time. Or at least that's what, like, this weird graphic was that showed up. It was like a lightning bolt graphic, which was really strange. Did you catch that? Did you see that? I did. And I, and then that ties neatly into what happens later. But it, mm. it's mm-hmm. really, really fucking out of place. It's just yeah, like, just, it's like, what? What the hell was right. that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As long as I wasn't the only one that was, like, thrown off. Because I just thought that was strange. But I love the fact that Molly Ringwald was, like, a super, a super diva. I, don't, I just thought that worked really well it was like just silly but worked really well it was it was silly and i i kind of liked her being the diva thing but they i think they could have done so much more with her and yeah it, it, they just kind of didn't i mean mm-hmm. she's actually really good actress when they give yeah. her the right direction i mean it was mm-hmm. just i don't know it just it felt flat and i and i know that and i i have a feeling that it wasn't necessarily her i just think that the part wasn't written. right yeah, that I, I would agree with that. I think she got more interesting toward the end because she kind of like drops the diva aspect of it, and it's just kind of like one of the one of the group that's trying to get rid of this killer. And yeah. I thought that it was just more interesting. But yeah, I, I definitely one dimensional, no doubt about that. And it's always more interesting when they're when they're you know there's more to them. But, um, one thing I loved about this movie was the lore that it was creating. It's just so much fun, like the the fact that you know this the the director died filming this movie, and now when people see this movie, this killer comes back and kills like the the person in the movie theater, the guy in the movie theater who was killed by the killer. Like I, it's just a really interesting idea, and it creates for a fun backstory for the film. And I was really, I was just, I bought in. I was really enjoying that. Yeah, I did like that. I thought that the. They had a very cool idea with that, and I don't. Unfortunately, I don't mm-hmm. think they quite 
managed to capitalize on it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um I thought it was interesting how like so the these student filmmakers are getting all this media attention. Like even so far so they one, somehow they have this money to hire well, I know how they got the money, right? Because they they take the it's called blood money. Girls, blood money. Like I like that line. But <laughs> yeah. like it's still it's a student film, right? Like and they have literally interviewed by the media once Molly uh, once uh I don't I can't remember her character's name, but once um Vanessa Turnbill gets there, Molly Ringwall's character. And I thought that was really interesting, but I thought they're pretty intelligent and it kind of makes sense why they they call this I forget which character it was now, but the the girl who's supposed to be the producer, how she's considered to be the next big thing cuz that's one of the selling points that the agent makes for um Turnbill to take this gig is by telling her, you know, all oh, this producer supposed to be the next big thing. And it kind of makes sense cuz they're intelligent using the the lore of this uh, you know, film to entice the media to get attention. I mean, that's smart. That's good marketing. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It it seemed out of place, though. And then, like you said, it's a student film. Like because it is a student film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see the known actress coming back, but I I, I think they wouldn't have. Yeah, but I think I think it would have worked more as like an ambush when they found out she was coming, as opposed to having a press conference. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Just the the setup of it would have made more sense, right? So the villain's name in this one is Scarman. And I just thought that was just stupid, but wonderful at the same time. I really like the name. Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that until later on. I was like, oh. Oh, okay, yeah. I know, I feel like they only really? say it a few times, but... Um, oh my god, so one, of the, one character I fucking loved, he was just so wonderfully creepy and maladjusted was the projectionist which is just really a thing of the past nowadays but man i loved him so much i can't remember how he says it but it's like art is art a eh? like trying to like push for like pornography basically nothing to be censored i just fucking loved him and then of course he's you know uh, ends up a victim but i thought he was fucking hilarious and really well played yeah, such I, I did like him because like you, you had the impression that he was just out of his fucking mind. <laughs> like the two girls are just like, yeah, exactly. Just play our movie. We're gonna go hide now, right? <laughs> Before yeah. you like stab us or something. I know, and the girls actually handled him re- very well. I was like, oh, they're not even like that creeped out by him. Okay, interesting. But uh, I thought the the prank that they pulled on the director, I thought that was a pretty shitty thing to do, but. I mean, I understand it, you know, it's just, it's funny, but like, it, it sucks. But the other thing that sucked is that they didn't even get to stay and watch the rest of the movie. I was like, oh, you guys like gathered here to watch this movie and you're not even getting to watch it because you did this prank. Yeah. But then I, I was thinking about it and I think actually, am I wrong? But is the only thing that was filmed, was it the opening of the movie? Do I, Um, did they say that later on? No, I think they... I think they hadn't finished the end of the film. Oh, okay. Uh, because, um, like, the end of the film and obviously the beginning part here. So I think Molly Ringwald's character was supposed to die at the beginning, a la screen. Oh, know? gotcha. Right. Uh, and Yeah, uh, that would make sense. But, yeah. But then, of course, obviously. the Man, I thought for sure the way they were filming the film canisters, 
the way they were shooting the film canisters after the first death, I thought for sure the projectionist's body was going to be in those film canisters. And I was a little disappointed that it wasn't because he's just like tied up in the projection booth or whatever. But I was like, oh my God, like it's for sure happening. His body's in there. But um, I like there was a uh, a Jules and Jim reference to an old French wave classic, which is very good. Jules and uh, fantastic film. But yeah, it's something stupid. He says, I don't remember what it was because it's, I've watched these like a week and a half, two weeks ago now, I think, but it was like Jules and Jim are in love or are in love or something. Like, I don't remember what the hell it was, but they make mention of Jules and Jim, which is obviously very intentional on the director's part. But, oh, okay. um, oh yeah. So I forget what character it was. It was one of the, the, I think it was the professor who is the guy who is like Molly Ringwald's characters, like uh, the guy who drives her around, the guy who stays in her apart, uh, hotel room with her. I think that was the professor, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was he professor. survives at the end, yeah. So he says that he's trained in Reiki. What the, I don't know what the fuck Reiki is, but I loved how much Turnbill was oh, liking that fact. A- that's what I was uh, getting. That's what I was assuming just from like my the context content clues, but... Yeah, like her face when he said that he was trained in Reiki was just fucking hilarious. Like she was just ready to jump him at that point. And I was like, oh, well, this is making a turn. Okay. <laughs> but um, the house that they chose to use for the shooting, man, I thought that was perfect. It was just perfectly creepy and it was still beautiful. I love that house. It was a great set. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the house. The house was awesome. I thought the guy that was playing the scar man in the movie, Bobby, he was such a dick. He was just out there scaring people left and right, just and then like being an asshole and using the fact that he was getting into character as an excuse. Like, no, just because you're getting into character doesn't give you like permission to be a fucking prick. And then he get hit. He got like need in the dick. I like that, too. That was hilarious. Like, what an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, one of the funniest lines to me had to be when, uh, Vanessa Turnbill is driving the trying to drive the car and she can't do it. And at one point she says, I don't do my own stunts. I was like, oh my God, that's fucking amazing. Because she's literally just driving a car and she's talking about how she doesn't do her own stunts. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And such a such a thing that her character would say. Just such a diva thing to say, but so funny. The head getting sliced off in one clean chop i thought looked really good yeah um yeah i can't remember which kill that was now but i remember it um, happening it was the uh one of the uh one of the film crew guys uh was getting- oh yeah when he was like having trying to have sex with that girl yes yeah that's right yeah that looked really good um i like that they they try to build like they try to slyly build some red herrings in with like a single music cue or a small look I thought they were obvious, but they weren't like over the top ridiculous. Like at one point, the driver, the person who's driving the 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 van around, like after the first kill, like he closes the door. Then this sound cue happens where you think it might be him. Um, at a, a point earlier than that, they you the the guy who sleeps with the with the director. I can't remember any of these people's names, but the guy who sleeps with the director uh, might have been Rick. He makes he says something or makes a look and another sound cue plays that's like okay maybe he's the one you know um so i thought that that was good 
um, but not not great because they don't really go too far with it because they're not really trying to set up red herrings in this. That's not the goal. The killer is the supernatural thing, which I didn't expect it to turn supernatural, frankly, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's not the goal of this. It's just trying to do these little small things, which I think they worked pretty well. Did you catch any of those? Um, Not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll, fair enough. I'll, I'll be honest. I was a little bored. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know why. I was, I was, I was with this one. I uh, was buying in, I guess. It just it made me laugh at different points, and I was like, okay, I'm going with this. But um, what else? So I did not like Damien is his name, the cinematographer, um, the guy who was having sex with the director. He was just such a douche. I didn't like him. And his his kill, which happens later on, but I'll talk about it now, his death scene, I thought was so stupid because he sees the killer and the killer is clearly like, they're not filming anymore. Like clearly there's something wrong here. And yet he continues to film Scarman. I know. And then like Scarman like point, like waves at him and like points at him and then kills him. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why did you not put the camera down? I did not get that. I was like, everyone else just ran. Obviously, this isn't the script. Right. What the fuck are you doing? Exactly. That was just weird to me. But anyway, the cops, I thought, were kind of strange in this and very throwaway for that character, for that, you know, for the police officer character. Um, when we first are introduced, or well, I guess not our first introduction, but the, when they first introduce themselves to the characters that we've been following, the director and the producer... Like the cops just jump down their throats when they mention their when they mention the curse about the movie, and it just made the cops very unlikable. I thought. Yeah, and and they don't even bother to ask, you know, why they're like, oh, oh yeah, you're talking about the first time they showed up. I was thinking about the other time. <laughs> yeah, and like they never they they never kind of redeem themselves because even at the end when they come back, like instead of you know trying to figure out what's going on. They just grabbed the person who's trying to burn the film, the director. And then like, I, I don't know. They just like, don't seem to be very good at what they're doing no, they and don't. are assholes on top of it. And so it's like, Oh, okay. But one thing I thought was interesting was the relationship between the director and the producer. It, uh, so I was thinking in my head that they have this, this connection as lovers as opposed to friends or coworkers. And then all of a sudden, they share a kiss on the lips. And I was like, oh, that's different. And then I was, th- but like nothing was made of. So I'm thinking like, maybe that's just a cultural thing. Like maybe in Australia, they just kiss on the lips more than we do here in America. I don't know. But I thought it was really interesting that I was thinking this connection they're having, this conversation they're having, is almost an intimate conversation. And then all of a sudden they kiss each other. Did that strike you as odd or did that hit you at all in any way? No. I, I, I at that mm-hmm. point I didn't think anything was odd with this movie. It was just like some of the stuff they done was just so out of left field. I was just like, "What? Okay, well, whatever." Gotcha. <laughs> I just went with it. Right. <laughs> oh man. Um, one I thought moment that was very creepy was when the guy, the driver. I don't know what. Forget what he actually did for the film, but he was the driver of the van. He or the bus, rather. He was getting ready to go somewhere to get something, and uh, he shows up in the um, to the bus, and in the very back of the bus is the killer. And I just thought that was a really well shot and, and really effective moment because obviously that's when he the the killer when Scarman kills him. But I thought that was a really cool moment, 
and the drive his reaction to it was just a simple scared revelatory oh my god and then he dies i just thought that was really well done i really like that scene yeah i, I the one thing okay the, the one thing i didn't like about this is we kind of get we get introduced to like the the main director chick uh i can't remember her name and her friend who's basically like the producer right uh, and the student producer is the professor who's the and right other than them and molly ringwald's character we barely know the rest of the cast yeah well I, and they introduced him with names and positions it's like okay you know it's like all right but right yeah right in the beginning of the movie damien yeah. cinematographer so and so audio yeah. guy whatever yeah and i thought that was oh okay yeah but then we don't get anything on them at all no it's just right. like oh come on it's like i i don't know maybe that's why it, when when because like when the end hits and they just start killing people like every like 10 minutes i'm like mm-hmm. okay yeah i this would have been better if like i actually knew something about these people but and i might be more invested in this but okay but yeah no yeah it, it's it's, it's just, very cannon fodder yeah the pacing was just i think okay i think that's part of what threw me yeah See, I don't know. I didn't really have a problem with the pacing, I guess. Um, like I was I was hooked from the start through most of the end. Um, and but I, I definitely see what you're saying with the characters. Like they are very one dimensional. We already talked about that with uh, Molly Ringwald's character Turnbull. Uh and that just continues on throughout the rest of the cast. The only people who have anything of note are the producer and the director who we spend time with. But yeah, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, but I guess I'm just more forgiving given the, the genre and the era because uh, it's just, you know, they're there to be killed. Um, and so I guess I was just kind of more understanding of that. I guess not understanding, just more forgiving of it. But definitely, definitely see that argument, though. Um, one kill I really wish we would have seen more of was the producer. So obviously that's one of the few characters that we know very, you know, pretty well. And she's about to die in this like machine. I don't, I don't remember what the hell it was exactly. That's a wood Um, splitter. (laughs) Okay. Woods. Yes. Right. Wood splitter. And, and, and so instead of seeing, you know, the effects of like the wood splitter in action, it cuts to outside and we see a bloodshot on the window now, mind you, I thought the bloodshot, like the the splatter looked cool. It was a ton, but it looked cool. But man, like for that being one of our main people, I would have really liked to have like seen more. Uh, I guess the, I would have liked the kill to have been more personal as opposed to just kind of looking at a window and knowing she died. Yeah, I, I did appreciate that she put up one hell of a fight on him. I thought he right. he was actually going to get away at one point. I was like, OK, go girl. Alas. Exactly. What did you make of the the kind of swerve that they throw in at the end here, toward the end here, where we find out that the director of this film is the original film's director's daughter? Like, did you see that coming? Did it work for you? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you not care? What? Um, uh, yeah, kind of saw it coming, and I'd have to go with my wife's response here. Still didn't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured something was up when they were going to do the, when they were screening it and she leans over to her friend and she's like, that's her voice. And I'm like, what? Why would she care? But yeah. Oh yeah. That's I forgot about that. 
And see, that's and that's one thing that I thought was where like, I just feel like that would be something that people would already know, at least her like friends. You know what I mean? And maybe, yeah. maybe the producer did. I don't know because you say that, and I think that's interesting because I didn't connect that until you said that. But that makes sense. But I didn't see it coming because I did not make that connection earlier on that you pointed out the oh that's her voice connection. Um, and I'm not sure I love it. I'm not sure I hate it. It's just kind of there. Like, it doesn't really add much to it, I wouldn't say. Um, it kind of gives her character more motivation to wanting to do this. But honestly, I was already I already bought into the motivation of this is just a cool fucking horror movie and there's a cool lore behind it. Like, let's make it. Like, that was good enough for me. And so yeah. the fact that they tie it in with the, yeah, the daughter, eh, I was like, oh, whatever. But... I really liked the scene with the two killers. So you have like Bobby playing Scarman and then you have actual Scarman. Uh, and he says, face off, Wes Craven style. I like that. Um, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was a cool scene. Um, and I also thought it was weird that so obviously Bobby gets killed. You know, the fake Scarman gets killed by Scarman. And then Scarman is coming in to shoot that scene with um, Turnbill's character. And I thought it was kind of strange that nobody found it odd that Bobby is carrying around a real weapon instead of the prop weapon that they the director physically picks up and switches with him. I thought that at first I thought that was really strange. And then I was trying to kind of explain it off by, well, maybe they use the real weapon for different effect shots and then they have like the fake weapon for the kill shots. Like, would that make sense? That would make sense, right? That would make sense. Um, and plus, it, depending on lighting and stuff, like a lot mm-hmm. of times the, the movie use like rubber props. Right. But rubber is not going to get the glint off the mm-hmm. lighting. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was able to explain that one away, I guess. That one makes sense to me. But um, yeah. And then Damien's kill. So fucking Damien is such a fucking idiot. But I did like the kill. I thought it was like funny and, and ridiculous and fantastic. Uh, getting stabbed right in the head um, after the killer literally walks to the camera, waves at him, and then stabs him in the head. I was like, well, yeah, you deserve it at that point, you dumbass. But, um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, really? Are you? <laughs> like, I was going to ask if you're an idiot, but obviously the answer is yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> there is that exchange between, I think this, it was Jules and maybe this was Jim, I don't know, but um, he goes... They're like uh, kind of trapped in the car while the killer's trying to get him. And, and he goes, I never told you this before, Jules, but I've always found you very attractive. And she goes, oh, fuck off. Well, yes. not in that accent, but. Um, yes, I, did. I love that. And he goes, <laughs> okay. That, <laughs> that was that, fucking that when she did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she immediately knew what he was going for. And she's right. Like, no, I, I, I know. <laughs> that was so funny. I really like that. Um, what did you think about the. Okay, so, well, hang on, pause for a second. So we get the, in the car, like, he he burns her alive, which I thought was pretty fucking brutal. And then he burns the sound guy in the car. I thought those were two very cool kills, even though they were incredibly similar, just being burned alive. I thought, like, the brutality of that was very good. I liked that. Um, But what did you think of the fact that this film went supernatural? Did you expect that? And Um, did it work for you? I think... Yeah, I I wasn't I was not expecting it, but when they did, it made sense. But at the same time, the flip to it being supernatural was so bad. It was just like it's one throwaway line from the 
the the professor and just, just like, oh yeah, we need to burn the film. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Where did right. you come to this conclusion? Right. <laughs> I, I, as an audience member, yeah, you can kind of see it because if you tie, especially if you tie together the spark from the beginning of the film, right? Yeah, exactly. There, there wouldn't have been electrical involved with that costume or colors and yeah. right. Um, yeah. It's like okay, but at the same time, it just the end of it just felt when they when they they jumped to that the one dude jumps to that conclusion. It's like, are you are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. Are are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but so See, I don't here's... know. I, 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 it worked for me, and I would mm-hmm. have liked it more if we'd actually had some kind of build up to that, as opposed to the professor just like whipping that out of his ass, right? And it, you know, and it working. And, you know, you're 100% right. I don't know why that didn't strike me as annoying or just kind of silly to, when I was watching it. But I was I was just, I was going with it, I guess. And so I was like, okay, yeah, let's burn the film. I don't know why, but you're absolutely right. It's fucking stupid and, and it comes out of absolutely nowhere. But I, I thought the idea was great. It's just yeah. the execution is shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so w- what I did like about it, though, was... I thought, and uh, maybe you felt this way too, but I thought like the effects of him burning and melting, I thought it was pretty damn impressive for a 17-year-old film. And it kind of reminded me of um, the guy f- from Hellraiser. Like his his oh, melting yeah. effect is what it reminded me of. And I thought it looked pretty damn good. Yeah, the effect did, did look good. They didn't they didn't go like all CG with it and I think the the mix right. of makeup effect and the 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 whatever effect they were using melting look yeah. worked. And especially, the fact that they modified his voice I thought worked really well too. I like that. Yeah. I I especially think it worked though like toward the end of the movie when he's like got her down on the ground and he's trying to kill her. Yeah. Like melting over the top of her. And it's right. like, "Oh god, no." And mm-hmm. that that looked awesome. It was yeah, that definitely. was really well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, the this part fucking killed me. So first off, it was disgusting because the dog is up there, and we find the the uh, owner of the mansion that they're in. They find his dead body hanging there, and then the fucking dog is licking up the blood. I was like, oh, that's fucking gross. And then they all are running down the stairs, and f- just just because. There was some, no rhyme or reason behind it. They all just kind of clumsily fall down the stairs together. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why did they, why did that just, why did this like slapstick moment just fucking happen out of nowhere? I thought that was so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of moments like that in this movie. Why? <laughs> why? Yeah, that why? was so strange. That was, that was definitely one of them that struck me. I was like, oh, what? Why did they just fall? But okay. Um... I liked the uh, the female cop's death because she like falls onto the fucking like hose faucet thing, and I thought that was just hilarious. Like, and then they shows her, and she's like, the thing is, you know, halfway through her body, or like, oh, she's like halfway down this faucet, and it's sticking out of her chest. And I was like, wow, that's ridiculous. I, I, I okay, I thought the the it was inventive the way mm-hmm. they did it. But him walking over to turn the damn thing on was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> really? Come on. Oh man. Um I love that the professor survives even with the spike through his neck. 
not only does he survive to come back and help at the end to like help be the hero, but he also survives the whole fucking thing. I was like, oh, good for you. He has this giant fucking spike through his neck. Didn't hit any major arteries, though, apparently, and uh, he was able to make it. So good for him. So they, so at the end here, right, they essentially ruin the entire premise with this throwaway ending. So how was Scarman killed when they burned that print if there was another print somewhere else? Unless the theory is that Scarman doesn't come alive until the print is actually shown, and maybe this one wasn't shown until now? Well, I, okay. Like, is that how you would justify it? I, I I thought the ending was stupid. Okay. For one, okay. I guess it could work if, like, okay, so, you like, say you had the wor- the one work print that they assembled um, back when the, when the first director got killed. So, yeah. okay, you have that one work. I guess you could have another one later on, you know, to edit with when that dude was trying to complete. I guess you could have a second one then. I guess that yeah. makes sense. Because I was thinking about when we first watched it, I'm like, where the fuck did they... Right. Yeah, because they said that this was the only one. But, you know, it's just like, I guess there's a way that you could have a second one. I think it was just a Mm -hmm. cheesy way to throw in an opportunity to make a sequel and or... Exactly, a potential sequel. Get a cheap scare out of people, but it wasn't scary. It was it it felt tacked on and dumb. So Yeah, I wish it would have ended a little bit before that. But that said, you know, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't mind watching a sequel to this. I I mean, yeah, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't mind watching a sequel to this. It would be, you know, I feel like this is one that could be remade or just have like a reboot or have a sequel made to it now. And I feel like they could make it probably better than what they do with this this original because I think it's a very cool idea and I think it would be interesting to see it again or in you know, similar vein. I, I do think I did like the idea. The idea is is fantastic, especially mm-hmm. for horror. But yeah, like the I don't know if it was just the budget or you know maybe right. that extended cut adds a lot to the movie that's just from this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but yeah. it just it feels the pacing's off and they they make a lot of illogical leaps to it. So I don't know. It, yeah. So yeah, go ahead and continue on with your, your, your final thoughts there and your, in your star rating okay. for this one. Um, I am yay for Molly Ringwald, you know, kind of boo for in a kind of lackluster script. I mean, I like the, I like the feel The the location was spot on. I love the location shots, the, the building that they had, the, you know, the sets, uh, mm-hmm. looked great. Um, I like the idea. The just the execution kind of sucks. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think they underutilized their probably their biggest asset with Molly Ringwald, and, and some of the other actors and actresses in the movie probably could have done better with a little to it. And there might be more to it that we're just not seeing in this. The short version, right, isn't great. I I give this one and a half out of four. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So for me, cut is yet another example of a really fun slasher film from this era that I'm really glad that I now know about. Um, I was reading others calling this like an Australian scream, but I don't really agree with that as I I don't think it's trying to be as satirical as the scream films. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) No, my wife made a comment. She's like, it's not intelligent enough. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this one, and it, it also it feels like a more serious toned slasher film 
that adds a lot more supernatural elements than most from this area era. And as corny as those got, I was buying in and I just went with it because the ride was a lot of fun getting there. So um, I thought there were some cool kills, some decent gore. I'm in a badass killer with a cool as hell mask, which is enough that I'll recommend cut to anyone who likes slasher films from this era. Um, I love seeing Molly Ringwald in this role um, because it's so different from anything else I've seen her do, um, which admittedly is very limited to, you know, most of her 80s teen comedies. But, um, you know, it is what it is. uh, She's probably one of the better elements in uh, the Stan miniseries. Oh, you know, I've watched like the very beginning of that like 10 times and never watched past like maybe the first hour. So I definitely need to watch that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's hit or miss because, I mean, it's a, a mid 90s miniseries they did for television. Right. But, but as exactly. a Stephen King adaptation, it's actually pretty. So good. Yeah, my wife loves it. So I got to watch. Um <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we could have used, like we talked about, some more backstory for the rest of our main characters so they didn't seem throw so throwaway. But I'm not going to knock the film too much for that, given the genre. Um, this is definitely, uh, I would consider, a hidden gem of the slasher genre. People just don't talk about this one, and I think it's enjoyable. Um, and I'm happy, really happy that we got to talk about it. So I'm giving Cut three out of four stars. So let's move over to our sixth and final slasher resurgence uh, film that we're going to talk about from this era. And this, of course, is Valentine. So again, there will be spoilers for Valentine. So if you've not seen it, definitely pause the podcast and watch it. Come on back and hit play. So this one had a U.S. theatrical release date of February 2nd, 2001, right around Valentine's Day. It was directed by Jamie Blanks, who also directed the film we talked about last week, Urban Legend. It was written by Donna Powers, Wayne Powers, Gretchen Berg, and Aaron Harberts, based on the novel by Tom Savage. That's a fucking mouthful. Um, it has an IMDb score of 4.7 out of the 21,436 current votes. It had a Metacritic score of 18, a tomato meter of 8%, and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 33%. It had a $10 million budget with a $20.4 million gross, and it sports a 96-minute runtime. So, Ash, what is your history with Valentine? This is the first time I've watched it. Uh, I'd seen it in the um, video store, I don't know how many times, and just never rented it. Um, Okay. It's actually one I'd wanted to watch way back then. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I I did watch this one, like you said, way back when. Um, I rented it on DVD from Blockbuster, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, watched it back then. I remember liking it. Um, it had to be probably only a few years old at that point, maybe not even a few, maybe just a couple. Um, and I remember liking it back then. And so that's uh, why I was excited to revisit it because it's been one I've been wanting to revisit for a while. And interestingly enough, I feel like I remember so little of this and I was actually like adding in parts that I thought were in this that are not. And so I'm not sure where those that movie like some of the scenes I was thinking of actually which movie they fall into, but it's not this one. And so uh, I definitely want to know what movie I was thinking of, but um, <laughs> I know I did see this one, uh, but it's been so long that it was almost like a first time viewing. Cause I didn't remember how it ended or much of anything about it. So it's been long enough. Excellent. So as I was watching the very opening credits, I come across two names that I was like, oh, no shit. I d- didn't realize they were in this. So both Katherine Heigl and Denise Richards. 
in the opening credits. And so I was immediately intrigued because I did not realize or remember that they were in this one. So I was like, okay, cool. I like the both of them. So let's see. Um, yeah, so right at the beginning. So our opening scene here is obviously the kind of the building of our killer, right? So uh, we're at this dance. They're all like whatever. I don't know how old, probably like 13-ish or somewhere around there. Um, and they are just like... This guy is asking these girls to dance, and they're all saying no, no, being assholes. And then the one does, they're dancing, they're about to kiss, they get caught by the other guys, and she says that he attacks her, or attacked her. And I was like, wow, like, these kids are fucking cruel to this guy. No wonder he has fucking mental problems. Like, they are bullies, and they treat him like shit. That doesn't justify his killing them, obviously, but fuck. Felt, it felt uh, just very harsh. So I felt bad for the guy. I do feel bad for him, but like you said, uh, murdering them is not. So then we jump, jump. So in cut, we jumped 12 years ahead. And in Valentine, we jumped 13 years ahead. Um, and so our first thing here, we get uh, Catherine. He- How do you say her last name? How do you say it? Heigl, Hagel? I always say Heigl. All right, perfect. So, yeah, so she is uh, studying to become a doctor. Oh, yeah, and I thought this was funny. So my Bridget has been watching Grey's Anatomy. She just started watching it. She, we never watched it at all. Uh, I'm not really watching it, but I see it on all the time. And um, I yeah, thought it was interesting sure, because sure, Catherine really Heigl's character. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. um, Catherine Heigl's character, Shelly, um, is studying to become a doctor there. And then like four years later, she's on Grey's Anatomy. So I'm going to assume that this is part of that same character timeline. She just came back from the dead. Let's just make that assumption right now. That's the connection. Thank you. This has been the Cinefessions Podcast. I am Brandon. That's Ash. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Boom, baby. That's enlightening our listeners is what that is. Anyway, um, the cadaver. So first off, she goes on this date and this guy is such a fucking douchebag talking in third person. And I just hated him. Jason is his name. And then um, he has the spinach in his teeth, which is just so gross. Um, but anyway... After that, she goes back to the uh, to the lab, I don't know, to the hospital, wherever the fuck she is, and um, we get this cadaver. And I'll tell you, I thought the cadaver looked like Ben Parsons, uh, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Did you see that? Um, yeah, I could, I could see that. I don't think it was him, but yeah, I, now that you mentioned it, no. I do think it's like it. Yeah, it, I don't think it was either, because then when they show, I only thought that when he was laying on the table. And then, like, later on, when they showed him again, I was like, oh, no, not as much. It doesn't really look like him as much. But I was like, damn, that definitely looks like him. I thought for one second I was thinking, I wonder if that was him just playing, like, a small bit role in this. But no, I don't think so. Anyway, so one thing I absolutely love about this movie is the killer's getup. So he has this, like, black trench coat and the full, like, painted up mask for the face, which I just thought he looked, he looks almost classy. Like, he looks fucking awesome. I really like that about this one. And the thing, did you catch that the mask is one of the, is the same one that the kids were, one of the kids was wearing at the dance? Yes. Yep. I sure did. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was a cool touch. Um, so, oh, I, I was very happy at this point. So, this is right before she gets killed. Um, they're showing in the cadaver room and they show these pipes, these, these tubes that are coming out of cadavers. Obviously, this is where the blood drains, you know, the, the fluids drain before they do whatever they do to the bodies. And so 
I was thinking, I was like, oh my God, I hope when this person gets killed that they show the blood draining and then they did it. And I was like, yes, I was so happy that they actually like, you know, the camera spent time on these tubes and then went away and then delivered on the time, that little time that we spent by having the blood drain from there. I thought that was very good. I appreciated that. I I did like that. I, the thing that bothers me about the both these movies borrow from Scream, and I and I know I realize this is based off of a book, and I right. don't know if the book came out before Scream or not. I don't give a shit. Yeah, this feels like it's lifted from Scream. It's like yes, let's ha- cast a high profile actress and kill her off in the first fucking reel of the film. And Was she like, high profile at this point though? Um, <sighs> because she uh, Grey's Anatomy wasn't until um a few years uh, like four years after this. Okay. Maybe she wasn't, but I mean, it, maybe it just feels like it now because you know I know of her now. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, well, she was stuff, she was in Bride of Chucky. I don't know what that role is in Bride of Chucky. A hundred girls. I don't know. At least the movies she was in before this one were pretty small. But that doesn't I think uh, at least she was in uh, Roswell. Oh, though. Roswell. Yep, you're right. Ninety nine. Yep. Which was yeah, which was before Valentine. So yep, exactly. Yeah, good call. And so I and well and she was in Under Siege 2, which is technically a big movie. Um is but it? technically, I mean, you know, before like, you know, Steven Seagal tanked his career, yeah, it was a big movie. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but even still, you know, she I mean, as far as the others going, I guess I don't know. She was she was at least as high profile as you know, some of the other you know some of the others, so I don't know. Right. Just, no, I mean, yeah, that's like a good watching point. It now. I, and I don't know if it was, mm-hmm. you know, intentional or not. You know, it just it felt like it was like, yes, let's catch a, cash in on the scream, I, you know, model. Right. Well, no, I mean, hey, either way, right? Even if in the book was written February first night or published February first, nineteen ninety six. So technically, that was before Scream, but that doesn't matter because. The fact that Scream, it, it was in the casting where that is like Scream, not in the the writing anyway. So, I mean, yeah, it's very, very similar to Scream, which is interesting because I made mention of that in Cut, which I watched both these right back to back. So, I don't know why I didn't think of that in this one. But I, I think it's because I didn't think she was known, I guess. But you're absolutely right. She was because Roswell was not like super popular. You know, it got canceled, but, you know, people know Roswell. And I'm yeah. sure they did when it was on. So, I mean, yeah, she was definitely known, I would say. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good call. Makes sense that the casting was very similar to Scream. But, um, and, and man, and what I love about there is just some very attractive women in this one. So, you obviously have Katherine Heigl, but um, I can't remember the Denise other character Richards. I was thinking of. But Denise Ooh. Richards. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, wow, I, I have. I She's had amazing a, in this. I had a huge thing for Denise Richards when Wild Things came out. Oh and, yeah, I don't blame you. And it just yeah, I I hadn't even realized she was in this one to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. I know, and she's just like she's just a she is like the embodiment of sexy. She knows how to use her sexiness on screen so fucking like dominantly. It's just amazing. She does so well with it. Um, I love when she breaks into that conversation that they're having with quote unquote Brian, uh, her and uh, <laughs> yes, who was it Kate? I guess just yeah. hilarious. But um, uh, oh, also like- interesting. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I I liked too that she wasn't just some. They didn't. 
none of the characters were like yeah. vapid bimbos or anything like that. It right. Was, like they actually took the time to develop them as characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I actually, you know, I I gave a shit about these people a little bit. Even, right. You know, despite what I may think about them, at least I knew about them enough to care about them, even just a little. Exactly, right. Another thing I love to see, so Angel is in this, uh, and obviously he's a major character. Uh, David (laughs) Boronaz, I don't know how to say his real name. Boronaz, thank you. I didn't realize he was in it either. And uh, this is obviously after Angel had already started, so he's a pretty big star at this point. Um, And so is Denise Richards. I mean, like these are very... You know, popular, well-known people that they're casting here, and so I mean, I I can see where the budget of the twenty million went. That's for sure. But um, we also get Jessica Caulfield playing Lily, who was from Urban Legends Final Cut. She was like the actress who they were casting in her move in the movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I think she actually she does a really I think she does a better job here than she does in uh, Final Cut. I loved how smarmy the maid was. Um, oh, God, yes. <laughs> I, I didn't... She has to call her, like, three times. I don't know why. And, like, they never really even, like, do anything with the character. But it's just, like, a small choice. But she's so smarmy. I would imagine it has to be something from the book. Like, maybe that's developed a lot more in the book. And so they just wanted to kind of throw that nod in there. Because in the film, it just felt fucking random as hell. But I thought it was hilarious that she was just so... I don't know, rude to her, you know, boss's daughter, basically. But yeah, and I did like the uh, the whole conversation. It ties into the conversation too with the the stepmother too. Mm-hmm. And I granted the stepmother, oh god, is a complete bitch. But oh yeah, uh, but at the like same, yeah. At the same time, though, you get the impression that it's not necessarily all the stepmom. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I thought that scene was just hilariously horrendous. Like it was just so bad, but it was making it made me laugh. I thought it was fucking hilarious. Yeah, the, the scene between the stepmom and the daughter. Yes. But... <laughs> oh man, that was great. Oh my god! And then we meet we meet Gary, who just kept rhyming words with Kate. And oh, then god. later on, he shows up in her apartment trying on her underwear. I was like, oh my god, fucking Gary. Another just fucking <laughs> random as hell character that's probably developed a lot more in the book. Frankly, I, now that we're talking about it, I kind of want to read the book. I want to know how that is compared to the movie, just because I'm interested. Yeah. But A little bit, yeah. Um, they receive the maggot-infested chocolate from uh, from the killer, and yeah. that was just fucking nauseating to me. I was like, oh my god, I can't even handle that shit. I hate maggots. Ugh. Okay, the, the one thing that bothered me about this the mm-hmm. the movie uh the killer makes the takes all the time to make all these like death threats and shit yeah and then doesn't bother to like he goes through this elaborate process of making these rhymes about how he's going to kill them and then he doesn't kill them the way he says he's going to right. that annoyed the shit out of me <laughs> yeah that would have been a uh that would have been a nice touch that's for sure it like, definitely really would have been cool. cool. It's like, have some conviction with your psychosis, buddy. <laughs> um, one thing I thought was strange as hell, and maybe they were just doing it to build a red herring, but man, they didn't go with it. The fact that Jason, the third person Jason from the beginning of the film, he um, shows up at the gala 
that they're having the gala, the gala, however the fuck you say that word too. He shows up at that 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 thing, and I was like, "What the fuck? Like, why? What is happening?" Um, I don't know. I think he was a good red herring, at least. He did okay. Yeah, I I, I, I assumed, honestly didn't, I assumed but... it was him. I assumed he was the killer. To be oh, honest. Okay. Like when he's like, because oh, he got all snotty with them and he shows right. up later and he's like giving them all shitty looks and everything else. I was yeah. like, oh, he's he's going to be in the killer. And I was pleasantly surprised. But OK, well, that's good. That's good. Um, oh, that's you were talking about the mask. I was trying to figure out why I I, fig- I knew I wrote down something about the, about the mask, but I couldn't remember what. So at one point, I think it is the character uh, Lily. She remembers jeremy melton's valentine's day dance mask and i was like really she's gonna remember or maybe it wasn't lily it might have been the main girl who used to be big or whatever but um i was like really she's really gonna remember the mask that he wore at a dance at a valentine's day dance like 13 years ago i thought that was just a bit of a stretch i don't specifically recall what why that was important but I, it, it bugged me. I'll say that, I guess, if nothing else. <laughs> I don't remember her saying that she remembered it, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I I didn't take notes. So. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I love that um, uh, Lily's boyfriend invites Amy, this random girl, in for a threesome without her knowledge. She's just kind of watching the, the – it was the guy who was at the, the, art, the artist at the gala – and uh lily the girl from urban legend final cut they just start like making out and they're about to have sex in the like back room of the art area and all of a sudden this girl walks in and she's like starting to take off her top and everything just watching them and i was like what the fuck and then we find out that he invited her in for a threesome and lily freaks out and like dumps him and leaves him there and then she dies but um i thought that was cool um I thought the art gal like the art setup that they had there, I thought that was pretty funny. Um and just kind of random and eerie, eerie, I guess. The way like I don't know, just the way everything was put together with like the close ups of the faces and you got some nudity in there too. Like it was just strange, man. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. It was definitely and I think it was set up to be weird and mm-hmm. kind of disorienting. Yeah, so. very fitting to what uh what it should have been, I feel like, based on, you know, what they talked about with this artist. But um, I love that the killer comes in with a fucking bow and arrow out of nowhere. I mean, speaking of random, I thought that was random as hell. But I still thought the scene worked nicely because you have the creepy art in the background acting as the maze. And then Lily, you know, uh, ended up ends up dying at the end. I thought that I just thought it worked well. I thought it was a good death scene. Better than our yeah, first one, at least. Uh, yeah. I guess. I don't know. It I don't remember how he said she was going to die though. So <laughs> so- mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't either. But um I would and at one point I'll admit I got confused because Kate who was like the um Marley Shelton's character, one of the main characters. Yeah, the main I guess she'd probably be the main actress there. Um she was seeing a hell of a lot of Adam. I thought they'd set up the fact that she had a boyfriend. And I didn't remember, and I was trying to remember, was that the boyfriend that they set up? Was it Adam or was it somebody else? Like, I got confused. But obviously, of course, it turns out that they were, of course, referencing the fact that she was with Adam. But that part bugged me because it was just, it was confusing. Yeah, it was a little, a little bit. 
It's probably just me I guess not I paying attention. I confused. I just went with it. <laughs> I figured yeah. I'd see his face when he popped up again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought, so the fucking cop. My God, what a character he is. But <laughs> the first thing that He's kind of. He's pleased too. Yeah, he is. I know. Before that, or I guess it was that scene. So in the very beginning, so he brings up the fact that it could be Jeremy Melton. And then he is like super flippant about the fact that they bring up Jeremy Melton um, when he was uh, like that Jeremy Melton, like, you know, was the one that they picked on in elementary school or whatever, middle school or whatever the hell it was. And he's so flippant about it when he was the one who brought them up in the first place because of the card that was signed by Jeremy Melton. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, well, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. But fortunately, Denise Richards was there to bat her eyes. And so the cop changes her mind due to the power of sexy. <laughs> but, um, and oh, and then there's that, that scene. Um, I think it's Kate. She says, they're looking at pictures of him and they say, do you have any more recent pictures of him? And he like, the cop slowly turns to her and says, if we did, don't you think we'd be looking at them? Like, I just thought that was fucking hilarious. Because it was such a stupid fucking line. Like, why say that? Obviously, if they're enhancing this to what he would look like now, they obviously don't have any more recent pictures. Like, how fucking stupid. But I thought it was well played. <laughs> yeah, and I then, did like the, the comment, yeah. Yeah, and then the cop holds her back to talk <laughs> to talk about the sexual tension between them. And I was like, this fucking movie, just hilarious. I thought that was so far out of left field. It just blew me away. Especially since there is obviously zero sexual attention. I know, them. exactly. And I think, you know. And then uh, right from that. Picking up on her or trying to hit on her. Yeah, exactly. So terrible. <laughs> right. And then from that, you go to the next scene is the fucking next door neighbor of Kate trying on her underwear. And then he gets killed. That's just like, wow, this movie's just going different places than I expected right now. But. One moment I really liked was the song choice when Dorothy and Campbell are sitting awkwardly in bed. They're tried, they try to have sex and I don't, he couldn't get it up or something. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the song is like, I guess the honeymoon is over. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I like that. <laughs> but I really thought my red herring, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be uh, Campbell. And I was going to be very disappointed because I thought he was so obvious. And that said... I still think the actual killer is was pretty obvious too because there's so few male characters introduced in this film that if you think it's a guy, then your options are pretty limited. What I was hoping was kind of what they hinted at at the end, but we'll we'll I'm I'm jumping. We'll get to it though in a minute. But um, I thought it was really good, really nicely framed when the killer showed up in the shadows of the doorway behind Campbell. I really liked that because it was just creepy. Um, and I do feel like there was so much more to Campbell's character that we could have learned before he died, which was a real shame that he died as, as early as he did. But not early in the film, but just early in terms of us being introduced to what his he was really about. Because obviously he's a scam artist of some sort. But And then we get the party scene and highlighted by a few weird things, including Denise Richards' slow motion dance scene and then Brian showing up. And I just thought this movie kept getting more ridiculous by the minute. And then they go upstairs. And I'm sorry, but what the fuck was she expecting when he told her he had a quote unquote surprise for her? 
Like, I didn't understand why she was disappointed when he whipped it out. Like, isn't that exactly why they went up there? I thought that scene was just poorly written, stupidly written, and made no sense at all. I did not understand why it was there. And it just it just made her character feel so, like, I don't know, just dumb and, and weird. Not dumb, but just, like, I don't know, ignorant, I guess. And I thought that was just a really dumb scene. Yeah. What did you think of that? I, I would agree. I think there's a couple of them in there, though. Um, mm-hmm. The... the the scene just doesn't play out very well or it, it just right. feels like it's written like crap. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, the awkward scene seems to be this movie's staple. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, that's yeah, that's a good point too. Right. But, um, and then and speaking of like awkwardly written. So in pretty nonsensical fucking Campbell's ex or whoever the hell she is shows up at this party. Like, why the fuck would she be there? Like, it just, it felt nonsensical to me. And then Max showed up and it's like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, it was just so fucking weird. And obviously the only reason Campbell's ex shows up is so that she can be fodder for the murder, for the killer. The only reason that Max shows up is so that he can say that uh, Lily is missing. And it's like, you couldn't have found uh, different, more important ways to deliver those two bits of information. Like, I thought it was... Just dumb at that point. But what did you think of the um, ex-girlfriend's death, the kill? Do you know who I'm talking about? Campbell's ex-girlfriend, the one who showed up because she was bitching about Campbell stealing her something or another? Um, Like he chases her. She gets into the sauna at one point. Oh, yeah. I was just... She was so... I... She was such a throwaway character. The only, the only, yeah. at, at that point, the only thing she needed to do really was kind of set up. She was there to set up doubt, really. That's all it was. And, and justifiably so, you know, his actions. But she only really needed to be in the one scene. I hated her yeah. at the party. I hated her coming back to the party. And yeah, she, he was, Campbell was, actually, was already dead. Obviously, he's not the killer at that point. Like, why did she have to show back up? Yeah, I was just like, uh, and and I was. I have to admit, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, and, and shockingly enough, like her kill is one of the longest ones in here, and she's such a throwaway character. And and I feel like they really missed the boat by not using the sauna for the kill because I feel like that would have been a lot more interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely burn her alive that way. But anyway, um. So then Adam starts drinking and I was like, what? Why? Like, there's literally no reason whatsoever for him to start drinking here. But it's just I don't know, because he's the killer, I guess. Um, and then speaking of why, there's this random ass Denise Richards bikini scene just to get Denise Richards in a bikini, I guess. But never mind, because just some things you don't need to don't need to question them. You just need to enjoy them. And that's what we did there. But um, I actually really liked that scene. One, Denise Richards and Bikini, always cool. Two, it has to be intentionally making the viewer think of wild things. The way she's sitting in the in the hot tub is exactly how she was sitting in the pool in Wild Things. Uh, with like her back to the camera, her arms stretched out in the bikini, so on and so forth. So I like that. And I thought her death was probably my favorite in the film. I thought it was creative. It was extremely claustrophobic, which always affects me. Um and I, I, the only thing I didn't like about it is I wish the killer wouldn't have gone the quote unquote easy electrocution route, 
But overall, I still really like that kill a lot. What did you think of that of that scene? I actually I thought that was really well done. Uh, it was just it was tense and uh, yeah just, and yeah it was it, that was like ah no 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 you know I actually felt yeah it was all kind of amped up. I liked that. It was right. it, it was probably one of the more intense scenes I think of the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah yeah definitely agree. I like that one. Did you catch that line? Um, who is it? I guess it's Kate. She says, fine, he's no angel, but he's not a murderer. I was like, oh, you did it. You did it. Because he's talking about Adam, who's obviously plays Angel in Buffy and Angel. And I was like, oh, there it is. A little self-referential humor for you. It reminded me of the moment in Urban Legend when uh, what's Joshua J- Jackson's character hits the radio and all of a sudden the Dawson's Creek theme song comes on for like two seconds and then he turns it off. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. Um, I thought Detective Vaughn's severed floating head looked way too fake when it was yes. in the pool. Did you see it? That yeah. I thought that terrible. looked bad. Yeah. Terrible. Um, why the, I didn't understand why the fuck she ran up. Kate ran upstairs. Like, it didn't make any sense. Like, you're being chased by this guy, so you're going to fucking run upstairs. Like, what a stupid thing to do. I understand that that's, like, a thing in slasher films. But, I mean, come on. Have a little justification for it, you know? Like, I just thought that was terrible. But then, um, it and then this ending is just, like, so far out there. So, obviously, okay, so what happens, right? The She's getting chased by Adam. Adam doesn't say he's the killer, but we're pretty much assuming he's the killer. And then all of a sudden the killer shows up and we think the killer shows up and she breaks away a minute and she takes off the killer's mask and it is pay, uh, not Paige, that's Denise Richards character. It is Dorothy under the mask. And I'm like, what? This can't be real. This is so far out there that it's just absurd. Like how did all of a sudden Adam go from belligerent drunk asshole to hero in the blink of an eye? I call bullshit immediately. And if he doesn't turn out to be the killer, I'll be shocked that they decided this was the correct route to go. That's what I wrote down. And then, of course, he hugs her at the end and his nose starts bleeding. And that's it. That's how it ends. We know Adam's the killer, but nobody else does. And that's how it ends. Like, what a strange fucking ending. Did this ending Did this ending work for you, Ash? No, I didn't. I honestly would have been happy with it being the with the way that they originally played it out um with uh uh page uh i'm sorry dorothy being the killer yeah i i, I that would have been a great twist you know just she was so scarred she just went after everybody to you know that type of thing and that would have worked for me so much better than the ending and i think part of it is i i think david Marinus is a great actor for kind of the goofy role I think he he was terribly miscast in this movie. I really do. There's like a couple scenes where he he where he does really well. He doesn't pull the creepy off at all. And mm-hmm. and like when he's doing the, like the drunk sequences, it's just like yeah, okay, I, I'm not I'm not buying into this. It just right. it bothers. Um, but and I, I just have a I have a hard time believing that he's the killer or that he was the guy pulling the straight off because he he doesn't. Just because of all the, the kills fell out and everything, he just doesn't fit. And Dorothy right. fit more logically with the with the way the the way the movie was filmed. I think that's just you know. yeah. No, I, I definitely I definitely see where you're coming from there. I think his it's just 
his character's weak. And I feel like that's the problem with a lot of these characters. The female characters, I feel like, are very strong. And that's great. And that's why I would have loved to see one of them actually be the killer. Um, that said, if they if this would have ended with his nose not bleeding, I would have thought that was shit too, frankly. Because of the fact that he went from like belligerent drunk to hero, like in literally the snap of a finger. And I thought that would have been fucking ridiculous. But they could have done something better to make that work a lot better and have Paige actually be the killer. I would have bought Paige as the killer. She's rich. She's manipulative. Um, and she's capable Whereas Adam is just kind of there, and I don't know. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's Valentine. So Ash, what are your final thoughts and your star rating for Valentine? Um, I think I think they probably should have actually like made an effort to make Catherine Heigl one of the survivors. You know, not necessarily the survivors, but one of the ones that lasted longer in the film. Right. Um, <laughs> Not knocking all the actresses. Some of the actresses were really good. Uh, I did like the characters. They were interesting. The boyfriends, most of the guy characters were kind of throwaway. Um, I, the, the trope of the, I think the trope of the guy being spurned as a child coming back to kill the girls who spurned him thing is, stu- it, it, it's been overdone. I, I've seen it in too many Lifetime movies. I mean, come on. Uh, but not that I watch a lot of Lifetime movies, but I see the ads and I'm like, uh-huh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a fucking lie. You're a big Lifetime movie I, network I, fanatic. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I don't even have Lifetime. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> hey, well, you know, they had Christina Ricci on as Lizzie Borden, so you have to give them that much at least. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah. it, it, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> There's some good moments to that and to the movie and and some bad. I think I just think the ending would have been so much better if it just happened to end up being one of the girls who, you know, just lost her mind over, you know, stuff, events that happened. And it especially worked if it was, you know, who, you know, would they played it out as just before, like the last, like minute of the right page or I'm sorry. God, I keep wanting to say page Uh, Dorothy. Yeah. It, it, it would have been perfect because, you know, she felt all that guilt and everything. It would have worked so much better. And and I love David Boreanaz to death, but he just he didn't fit this role that I will. And I don't know if it's the directing uh, or if it's just him. I mean, I'm used to seeing him be goofy and angel and everything else. Even when he was being creepy and buffy, he was still a goofball. You know, it wasn't, I don't know. He just, he doesn't do the creepy thing, like the creepy, creepy thing very good, uh, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm going with. Uh, it's just, it, I don't buy it. But overall, though, I I was expecting a little bit more when I realized it was based off of a book. I was like, oh, so there's going to be, you know, more to this. And there was in some instances, but in others, it was just, it was lacking. Um, I don't know. I, I, I was expecting a little bit more out of it, but overall it was, it was fun. It was, I think it was better than cut. Um, uh, so I'm going to give this one two and a half out of four. Okay. Very good. Valentine. Hmm. Valentine was a strange one for me. I remembered liking this movie a hell of a lot more the first time I saw it, which was, you know, like we talked about likely on VHS, right? It's from Blockbuster about 15 years ago. Um, but I just, I genuinely, genuinely remembered nothing about this film while watching it this time so much so that it makes me even wonder if I actually ever saw it. But like I said at the start, I'm sure I must have. Um, anyway, Valentine's biggest problem is that it isn't exactly sure what type of slasher film it wants to be. 
It doesn't go far enough with the self-referential and satirical side of things, but at the same time, doesn't stick to the serious tone that it starts with either, so it feels like it's stuck somewhere in between, and the vibe of the film is all over the place. Frankly, though, that isn't surprising, Um, and I feel like that's a pretty standard thing to see when you have this many writers doing any one particular film. And for a lot of the runtime, I was teetering on the edge of thinking this is incredible or this is terrible. And for better or worse, I'm basically left on that ledge at the end, somewhere in the middle of mediocrity. The third act is where things start to get almost too ridiculous. And the writers ask the audience to buy a hell of a lot of stupid shit that I just wasn't ready for. The killer is pretty predictable given the small number of male characters they introduce. Um, and though I like the idea of the ending, it just failed in execution for me and felt like something that was probably rewritten a number of times. Um, I loved the attractive women we get to sim- spend time with, of course, but none of them are, um, they're strong, but not, but they're not given as much as I l- would have liked to have seen here. Um, you know, and that was a little bit disappointing, but, um, that said though, I really did like Denise Richards in this because, I mean, like I said earlier, she just knows how to use her sex appeal and still feel like she's in control. Where the writers lost me with her, though, was her stupid scene with Brian. I thought that was just fucking terrible. Um, that scene just killed everything they had going with Paige. But I don't know. Oh, I, don't I, know. I didn't dislike <laughs> Valentine. I don't know. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. Um, I, I didn't say I didn't dislike Valentine, but it's definitely not one I'd need to watch again, at least anytime soon. So I am giving Valentine two and a half out of four stars as well. And what were you going to say? Uh, no, I kind of, I was just like, I kind of like that. The, the, where Brian, where Brian wants, uh, her to wax him. Is that where you're? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, that was perfect. Cause I was oh, like, man. oh, at first I was like, oh, she's gonna bite it off and blah blah, and then she tied him down. I'm like, what the fuck is she doing? Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> I just thought it was so stupid because like she acts like she acts like she didn't know why she was going up there, and the way that she the character the way that the actress plays it is that it's very obvious that they're going upstairs to have sex. At least that's what I was gathering from the way they were acting, the way yeah. they were flirting and going, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, what are you doing? And it's like, wait, what? What just what just happened here? And I thought that was strange. Whatever. Yeah. Weird moment. I, 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 I don't know what she was expecting out of the guy. I'll give you that, but yeah. I thought her reaction was priceless. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So that's cut and that's Valentine. So our slasher portion is over, unfortunately. I love slasher films, so that was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to talk about those. But now, before we sign off for the day, let's move over to the Besting the Backlog Challenge round 34. So this is, of course, where we try to conquer our personal backlogs one week at a time. So as a reminder... For this feature, each one of us looks at the other's unwatched pile, be it their home video collections or one of their streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, or Vudu, and pick one film the other hasn't seen yet and challenge them to watch that film before the next podcast, where they will then give a quick review of the film. So, I was uh, picked to watch Battle Royale from 2000, thanks to Chris on the last episode. And Chris actually picked your film too, but it was a while back. He picked Lilo and Stitch from 2002 for you. And yes. so that's what you'll talk about. So go ahead and talk about Lilo and Stitch. Uh, 
Lilo and Stitch is one of those movies I've been meaning to watch like forever. Um, I do like Disney movies. I like anim- the, the animated film, and it's one of their one of their last. I think that they were actually like hand animated CG. I think I, that and Treasure Planet. I think they were pretty close together. But yeah. man, I'm not sure. You could be right. I really don't know. But uh, no, I I loved this movie. I had never se- obviously I've never seen it before, but. Uh, just the, the the stitch is freaking hysterical. Oh my god. Uh I, I love the whole alien comes to earth and you know finds a family thing. It was just I love that. I love the family dynamic between the sister trying to raise her younger sibling and and all that stuff. It just there's so much to like in this movie and just the the reactions to different you know, the different people and everything else and him learning about Earth and and all that. It just it's a fun movie and I'm kinda sad that I waited so long to watch it. because um, it's definitely one of my favorites and one I'm gonna end up having to pick up and, and watch all over again. Uh but yeah, I, I love Lilo and Stitch. That is a that's a fun movie. If you haven't seen it and you like Disney movies, go watch it. It's uh I give that one four out of four easy. Awesome. That's actually one I haven't seen yet either. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you need to watch it. Yes. But oh my god. I know. And, and actually, that uh, just a, a fun note there. That's actually if you you know ha- asked Chris to pick only one favorite film, chances are it would be Lilo and Stitch. I know that is definitely his favorite Disney film, and I think he would consider it one of his favorite films of all time. And so uh, I'm I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that you enjoyed it as well. And uh, I'll definitely have to check it out because I, uh, I'm sure I'll like it when I get to it. I just haven't gotten to it. Um, oh, and Ash, uh, this week we are going to pick for ourselves for the film that we're going to watch next week. So while I'm going over my Battle Royale review, you can figure out what it is that you want to watch for next week. Okay. I've already picked. Perfect. Excellent. We'll get to that in just a second. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I, I picked up the... Battle Royale Collector's Edition Blu-ray from Anchor Bay back in 2002, according to the uh, Amazon note that appears at the top of the page when I pull the product up. Um, and it's just it's just sat here ever since, unopened until this past week. Um, it's one that I've wanted to see for quite a while because of all the hype surrounding it, including Quentin Tarantino, one of my favorites, calling it his favorite movie of the last 20 years, according to a sticker that's on the box itself. Um, with the explosion of the Hunger Games uh, books and movies, Battle Royale saw a bit of a resurgence in popularity, which is surely why I bought it initially. I love the original Hunger Games, and that whole like dystopian future theme is one of my favorites in all of media, right up there with the post-apocalyptic um, theme, which usually they go hand in hand. So I was really excited that Chris picked this one for me to finally watch. And uh, even with my high expectations... I was really blown away by Battle Royale. So Battle Royale takes place at some unknown point in the future and the Japanese government picks one random class of students every year and forces them to fight to the death on this uh, on a deserted island until there's only one person still living. This is called the quote-unquote Battle Royale Act. And it was enacted because the kids in the country have just stopped showing any respect to the adults. So this is the way that the adults are trying to take back control, at least... That's how I understand it from like the opening uh, scroll because yeah, frankly, like the, the backstory is given within about the first five minutes of the film in a scroll. Um, and then it's all about the here and now. So the film doesn't spend much time caring about why these kids are here and instead keeps the focus on how they're going to survive um, or kill each other trying. So 
Battle Royale, it's like a more adult action-oriented version of the Hunger Games with a hell of a lot more blood and brutality. So, in other words, it's about as up my alley as a film can get. Um, we follow most closely the story of one student named N- Nanahara. I'm, I'm butchering names. I apologize. Um, and the main storyline revolves around him and his small group of friends. But we also spend ample time with the other kids on the island as well. So it doesn't feel stale or, or like we're missing out on what the rest of the kids are doing. Um, we start with somewhere around 40 kids. And then we count down from there until the end. And um, the countdown is actually on the screen. So, you know, like, say like 25 remaining or whatever. Um, and it gives such an interesting feel to the whole thing because this graphic on the screen, it makes it feel so clinical and impersonal. Yet the time we get with the characters is like the exact opposite. It's emotional and personal. It's an awesome juxtaposition that really works well. Um, I mean, there are so many awesome scenes in this movie, but arguably, arguably my favorite had to be the fact that uh, and I'm about to butcher her name, so forgive me. But Shiaki Kuriyami, Kuri, Shiaki Kuriyami, Yama, Yama. Oh my God, I am terrible. Anyway, <laughs> she's in this film, and of course, if you if you didn't remember from my butchering of her name, she plays the badass Go Go in Kill Bill, which I'm sure you guys will remember. Um, but I imagine that Tarantino must have seen her, seen this film. And that's why he decided to cast her in, in Kill Bill. And she's an excellent actress. And I think she does a really good job here in her supporting role that she's playing. But I love seeing her just because I know her from something else, which I didn't expect. So that was cool. Um, frankly, I want to watch this one again. And I want to do a full video review on it at some point in the near future. This one and the next one in the sequel. Because I just absolutely loved Battle Royale. It's violent. It's bloody. It's beautifully shot with incredible locales. And it tells an awesome story that had me hooked for the entire two hours I was watching. And I should also mention that I watched the longer director's cut version, which adds on about an extra 12 minutes from the original theatrical cut. Um, and I loved it. So I'm um, I'm giving Battle Royale four out of four stars. What did you give um, La Lilo and Stitch? How many stars on that one? Oh, four out of four. Easy. Okay, perfect. So we have two four-star films for our Best in the Backlog Challenge. Gotta love that. All right. So thank you, Chris, for picking both of our films this week. We loved both of them, obviously, with uh, excellent ratings. So perfect. All right, Ash. So we're going to pick for ourselves for this week. So what are you going to watch for next week? Uh, I'm going to keep the Disney theme going, even though it's been like a month. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to watch Moana because I have not seen it yet and it's on Netflix. Oh, very good. Yeah. Bridget is obsessed with Moana. I have not watched it either, but I've heard the music a million times because whenever I'm in her car, she's always playing the music from Moana. So <laughs> very good. Excellent. So I was I was actually going to watch... Battle Royale 2, but I am changing my mind. So as as um sure all of you will know, um unfortunately before or since the last recording, we actually lost another, you know, giant in the world of horror with the passing of Toby Hooper. Um and so I have still a number of films to watch from his filmography. So in honor of Toby Hooper, um the the legend that he was, I am going to watch one of those films that I have that I have not seen, and uh, I actually own the Arrow release of it, and it's still sitting here unopened. Um, and so I will be watching 1976's Eaten Alive, one of the ones I have not seen. So, 
I will. Yeah, I will watch. Uh, have you? Oh, I forgot to ask. Did you? Have you seen Battle Royale? Yes, I have. I watched okay. that you... many, many moons ago. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Perfect. Do you remember liking it? Um, I liked it, and at the same time, I didn't because okay. it just um. We ended up. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's a hard movie to like, but it is really well done. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's just like, wow, this is fucking brutal and really fucked up. <laughs> uh, and, right. And, and I, I think it, it, Hunger Games is it, it kind of takes some of the that idea about it, but it's definitely definitely a different way to do it. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, no, I ended up I ended up liking it. It just it's it's one of those movies that's hard to rewatch because it is it's so brutal to watch. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Excellent. So, just a reminder, I will be watching 1976's Eaten Alive. Ash will be watching Moana from 2016 and Mark who should be back for the next episode. We'll be watching Detention from 2011, which I gave him a few weeks back. So fantastic. So that is going to wrap things up for this week. And remember, we should be back next Friday, assuming that everything goes according to plan, when we will be kicking off our next arc, which I am super excited about. And that one is, of course, the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe cycle, which will cover the eight films of the Poe adaptations that Roger Corman directed and or produced. And let me just give you a quick reminder of those in order so you guys can keep up with us. So first up will be House of Usher next week from 1960. Then The Pit and the Pendulum from 1961. Um, And that will actually have a, a, we'll do House of Usher next week. We'll have a week off and then we'll do Pit and the Pendulum. And then we'll be back on our weekly schedule uh, for the rest of the year. And so we have uh, Premature Burial from 62 after that. Tales of Terror 62 for week four. Week five is The Raven from 63. Week six is The Haunted Palace from 63. Week seven is The Mask of the Red Desk from six, Death from 64. And then the week eight will be The Tomb of, I don't know how to say it, Ligia, Ligia from 1964. L-I-G-E-I-A. I don't know how to say that word, but either way. So, and, and as I mentioned, we will be heading back into our weekly recording schedule uh, once again now that fall is uh, quickly approaching, unfortunately. But we will have a week off in between there because it's uh, my anniversary and I'll just be unavailable that week. So after that, we'll be back to our weekly show with only one review a week. Thank goodness for all of our listeners. So they don't have to listen to us talk as much. Um, though I'm sure we'll we'll fill time anyway, but that's what we do. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mark should be back with us next week. Um, because he should be returning from his work commitment. So we're excited to uh, do our next show. As always, if you have any questions for the three of us here at the Cinefessions podcast, please hit us up using that hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all the questions you'd like to hear us answer here on the show, and we'll do our best to answer all of them. Again, make sure you tweet at us on Twitter using that hashtag InFilmWeTrust. If for some reason you're not on Twitter, give us a call at 1-302-448-TALK or email us at contact.cinefessions.com for any question of the week options. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us that review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is that you might be listening to us. Positive reviews help us get more listeners, so we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review. Then another reminder, you can always reach us on social media. We love interacting with you guys there. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, you can find us. So make sure you're following us on all of those platforms. And also, Ash, remind our listeners where else we can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, D-H-G-F-A-S-H-E, and on Tumblr uh, under the same name. 
Fantastic. And you can follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Simon1. That's P-S-Y-M-I-N-1. All right. Ash, it was great to have you back, buddy. I'm glad you're uh, able to make it this week. Yeah, hopefully next time I'm a little, you know, less out of it, you know, from work. But <laughs> Right, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I want to thank everyone for listening to episode 104 of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film we trust. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.